Welcome to Emotional Savvy. Today we have something so interesting. We haven't had it before. We have hardly touched on the idea of folks in the military, their relationships, what happens to their careers when they leave the military, what happens within the military. And my guest today is Ariel Shivers McGrew, and she is from tactfuldisruption.co. So see why that's all quite fascinating so stay tuned and we'll be talking with Ariel very soon welcome to emotional savvy the relationship help show I'm dr. Roberta Shaler if you're ready to increase your confidence in conversations and conflict Deepen your self-awareness, expand your connectedness, and enrich your relationship with yourself and other humans you care about, and even those you wish you didn't. You're in the right place. Enjoy today's episode. Welcome to today's interview. My guest today is Ariel Shivers McGrew, and I'm so delighted to have you here. Welcome to the Emotional Savvy Show. Thank you for having me. Yeah, it's always fun to talk about something new and different, and we have not really had an in-depth discussion. We've talked a little bit about addiction and substance abuse in the military and for veterans, but we haven't spoke particularly about women leaving the military or in the military and all the pieces of that. So let me tell everybody a little bit about you. You're the founder and CEO of Tactful Disruption, a strategic resource at the intersection of counseling and career development. And she specializes in appreciative inquiry. And if you don't know what that is, run over to Google after the interview and look it up, appreciative inquiry. Ariel is an advocate for military, millennials, and minorities seeking to elevate their distinctiveness and belonging in the workplace. Don't you love that? I'm going to read it again. She's an advocate for military, millennials, and minorities seeking to elevate their distinctiveness and belonging in the workplace. She has over 10 years' experience in community outreach, nonprofit programming, youth development, and military services. She's a certified nonprofit management and leadership professional, a growth wheel business advisor, and a qualified mental health professional. She has an MA in clinical mental health counseling from the University of San Diego and a BS in speech communication from Southern Illinois University. So we've got lots of things to talk about. I would like to start with you telling us all, what is the most common career trajectory for a woman leaving the military? Oh, that's a great question. Um, typically, um, most women, most veterans, when they get out of service and transition, they go underground for about a year or two. They have to oh. figure that out. Um, but many do go into higher ed. So they do social services um, to give back. So they become counselors or um, educators. But a lot of them go on to pursue higher education. Oh. Um, what is it that causes them to go underground? Is it healing? Is it figuring out? Is it stress release? What is it? It's a it's a actually a variety of all those different things. Um, service is really psychological. The wear of the uniform requires you to assimilate to a different culture, mm -hmm. and when you get out, um, that's a culture shock. 
Um, so trying to readjust can be difficult because you knew who to rely on if you needed something while you were in service versus when you get out, it might be a new territory. Um, you know, it may be a rough job market or you may not have a relevant network or you don't know like what the next steps are. And so finding resources can be overwhelming because there are so many. Mm-hmm. And from my point of view as a mental health professional, and I live in San Diego, so I have military everywhere. And one of people that came to work with me, he said, uh, because it's my specialty, and he said to me, I really need your help because I feel like I've been trained to be a sociopath and I don't know how to adjust. What would you say about that? Why do you feel that way? Um, you know, what was your oh, the follow up question would be what was your military occupational specialty? Mm-hmm. Walk me through, you know, a good day. Well, I wasn't thinking about a counseling question. I was thinking about <laughs> military being him self-identifying as feeling like he was trained to be a sociopath and having to unlearn certain behaviors in order to fit in again. Do you think that that's a common occurrence? Do you think that's just his experience? What do you think about that? I, I would like to believe that's his experience because the military occupational specialty has a lot to do with the type of training you're introduced to and exposed to. Hmm. Well, he, he was a pretty savvy guy. And he explained to me exactly why he felt that way and what he felt was happening to his family relationship as a result of the way he had been trained to think and on many deployments. And he just really felt that, you know, rebuilding empathy as the first response was kind of trained out of him. Mm -hmm. Right. So that was a very, very important uh, consideration for him because he came home to a wife and four children. And he found that, you know, wisely enough, he said, hey, this isn't going well, (laughs) really isn't going well. So what do you think the other major pitfalls or landmines are for somebody leaving the military and resuming civilian life? Um, The approach to transition. So in Mm -hmm. some cases, um, transition could be seen as like a week-long program when really it's a process, and that process could take anywhere from 18 months to three years. Mm Mm-hmm. So what is that process? Well, it would be different for each and every person. Like women who transition out of the military often find themselves at higher rates of homelessness. Um, uh, Currently, the statistic running is that 22 veterans commit suicide a day. Um, And that's not all who have deployed. Some are reservists, some are National Guardsmen, um, and they're not always counted. Like in the state of Illinois, we have seven, the women veteran population is 7%, but that's not those who are currently serving. So their transition process is an everyday occurrence, a monthly occurrence in some cases. So mm-hmm. the disruption really has to be addressed for like making the mental resiliency piece a part of the ongoing training. Mm-hmm. So when we're talking about suicides, is there a, a lesser rate among, among women uh, who have left the military committing suicide than men? At this, so the, I don't know the gender breakdown for that. I just know that there's 22 a day. Mm. That's quite an astonishing statistic. 
because when we think about the population in general, how many people commit suicide compared to the population, and I would guess that that is a high rate regarding the the military and ex-military. It's a smaller, you know, it's about, it's, what is it? 3% have actually served in the U.S. and 1% are currently serving. So because you've got some going in every day, some coming out every day, some who went under the radar, that's, I believe, and then they have to be affiliated with the VA in some way. To be part of the statistics. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, because of my location, I get a lot of people who are questioning their PTSD. Mm -hmm. And that's a major issue, you know, for them. So, um, yes, so let's talk about some of these pitfalls and, and disadvantages that they may have. Like, I know... I was cleaning out all my closets and I went to find, because I used to be on the road speaking, business speaker at conferences all the time and helping people play nicely together in conflict management. So mm -hmm. I had 10 suits, 10 business suits I wanted rid of. And so I went looking like I didn't just want to dump them. Where would they get the most use right. and I found that they were having a drop-off just happened to be on that very day a drop-off for women coming out of the military mm -hmm. and and they needed business attire mm -hmm. so is it that that the people coming out of the military women in particular have not had the opportunity to have those kinds of clothing or can't afford those kinds of clothing or aren't prepared to move on in that way why is it that that unique population needed that item? Those if it's, if it's, that's a really great question. And I think some of the um, areas, buckets that you hit are relative to all of it. So if they're active duty, um, they probably would not have a professional dress attire because they have a uniform and then they have their military provided um, dress style uniform. But if they're reservists or National Guard, they probably do work a nine to five. So they would have one. Mm -hmm. um, and in some cases, with the uh, transition assistance program, they may not have taken that particular class seriously about dressing for success and finding a mentor. And um, so they, in some cases, it's like, I'm just ready to get out. I don't I don't see the need. Um, and as a former TAP counselor, that was often something I'd have to remind them, like, it, it may not matter to you today, but, in, you know, two, three months or two years, it will. What's a TAP counselor? A transition assistance program counselor. Okay. For those of us who haven't been in the military, those are big questions. <laughs> you have a lot of acronyms. <laughs> I apologize. Yeah, well, no, don't apologize. It's just, you know, our culture with, outside the military is so different than the culture in the military. And then add to that that I'm natively a Canadian, so I don't know any of that. <laughs> okay, so um, what are the advantages of having had military experience when you come out? What are the advantages to offer the workplace? Um, I, I would like to believe it would be um, leadership skills, adaptability, flexibility, flexibility, depending on what the task is, knowing how to stay mission focused. Um, there may be lots of fires happening at once, but we're trained to really take on negative stress up front. So being able to really hone in on what needs to be tackled first and then making a list to do it thereafter, uh, whatever falls next in line. Like, so really prioritizing like what can realistically be achieved versus like what needs to just wait but can get done. Mm -hmm. 
So are they going to be looking then for leadership positions on the whole, or it does that depend on where they were in the military structure? Um, that could be twofold. So in some cases, they may be a part of the skills bridge programs, which would allow, if they're active duty, it'll allow them to go and get a taste of the corporate experience, which would teach them about the corporate life, which is totally different culture, so they can learn to work their way up to the C-suite, mm -hmm. or they may just find that they want to be in the not-for-profit or social service world because they they have some experience in the military that says they, they want the next person's experience to be better. So it, it depends on how they define leadership. Okay. So let's shift gears now and talk about the, the actual personal interaction side of military life. Mm -hmm. I've had some experience. I remember spending an hour in a general's office here on um, Camp Pendleton, and we were discussing the fact that when people came back from deployment on Camp Pendleton, the first month that a large number came back, there was a significant rise in domestic violence. Mm -hmm. And so what she was initiating and what we were discussing was the programs that could be put in place to prepare both the people at home and the people deployed for re-entry into relationships. So let's start talking about what are the dynamics of those serving in their primary relationships? Well, when they, the mil, I believe the military requires you to have two different approaches to things. There's, there's, the expectation um, when you're in the uniform, and then there's the reality of coming home and not making that shift. And sometimes, um, just specific to coming home from a deployment, the irritability is still there. There's things that were probably seen, things that were experienced, and there was no direct outlet. Um, or the yellow ribbon service program didn't provide the resource at that time, or the stigma of not wanting to follow up. So who do I trust to tell these things to becomes the other challenge. And while the spouse may care or the family member may care, it, it may feel like questioning or like, you know, like a barrage of orders and, and an answer must be given when, you know, you act out what you can't express. Mm -hmm. And how about just when the day-to-day -day business of being not deployed and at home in the military, how do you make that shift at the end of each day? Well, it depends if you, like what your um, component is, if it's reservist or if it's National Guard or Coast Guard. Um, speaking for myself, I may have a battle assembly weekend, two to three, three to four days. So I understand what the expectations are me, of me are for that weekend, but then I may be asked to take on an additional duty. Um, so the pressure of helping the commander meet his goals and, you know, probably providing a urinalysis test to 140 and it's like the pressure is so real. So learning that like in this moment, I am, someone is watching me and I'm not allowed to slip up um, mm -hmm. versus going home and it's like, I'm tired. I have been up since 4 a.m. Like I, please don't have demands of me. Um, so just, just really be situational awareness. Um, I think that reservists and National Guardsmen really have uh, access to more civilian resources than active duty who are trying to figure it out. Hmm. Okay. Well, you know that it, I'm really interested in your insights, Ariel, because you're, you're still in it. 
right? You're still staying in it because of your career choices and because of your service, of course, but then that you're, you're thinking the meta model too, how to help people and how to, how to, um, inform people about all of this. So great resource. I'm so glad that you're here to talk about that. So is there a difference between military friendly and veteran friendly? Because we're always hearing about those two things. Yes. Um, it's the era of service. So veteran means that they're actually out. They've probably been detached for a while. Military means they're still in. They, in some capacity, they're still wearing the uniform. I often hear them uh, spoken about interchangeably. And, and I caution people to be mindful that someone who is in the military or who call, refer to themselves as a service member, um, they don't have all of the same federal benefits. Um, mm -hmm. They could, example is, say there is a female reservist soldier. She's about to be evicted because she's underpaid. Um, she couldn't, you know, fill in what she needed economically as far as like having a great job. And she can call and reach out to organizations who service veterans and they will say, well, do you have 90 days of deployment? Um, do you have orders? She said, well, no. Well, how long have you been in? 11 years. Well, I'm sorry, we can't help you. So now she's homeless. She's got the resources that are available are not accessible. And so it's just something to just acknowledge as part of the cultural piece that the military is still figuring out, or even small business owners who would like to become um, certified as veteran business enterprises who spent 20 years in the reserves, but maybe never deployed or picked up orders of additional duty days and they can't get veteran service, service status because they don't have the 90-day criteria marker. And this has happened, so I'm not making these things up. I've seen it all at this point. Um, and so I just I say that to say that there's the veteran who will tell you about their experience, and it may be Operation Desert Storm, Operation Enduring Freedom, Operation Iraqi Freedom, and then there's the service member. Less and less service members are actually deploying. So you have really a young group of individuals who signed up to patiently wait for violent confrontation who really can't access resources when they need them because they are walking billboards of transition. Whoa. Now that's not an enticement to go rushing out to your recruitment office, is it? I'm going to be a uh, <laughs> Well, you know, it's, do you want to pay for college? You know, do you, do you want to have X, Y, and Z like that? you know, everybody's motivation for joining is different and it's an all volunteer force. So at any point that they feel the military is no longer for them, they can be proactive and say, you know, I, I would like to just do the four years and, you know, start actively looking for um, people who they admire or mentors to make the transition, or they can let the military kindly nudge them out the door. And then the, str the struggle becomes real because then they start to ask for help after the fact. Okay. Is it difficult to find a mentor once you get out? Um, it, it depends. Like, so I always go back to whatever your job was in the military. Like, so I'm psychological operations. We're small man teams. The units are really small. The cohesion is by detachment. But if you have the same values and you can connect with people, um, you know, the mentorship occurs. But if you are, I don't know, worked on a submarine um, that might be a little bit more difficult. Um, who else are you going to connect with that worked on submarines who really <laughs> walk you through it all? So it really just depends on what your motivation was for joining, um, the type of military job you took on, and, and what that next step is for you. 
So mm-hmm. really figuring out, are you going to find new happiness in a new career? And that second career is hard for people. Mm-hmm. So what's your status at the moment? As a reservist? Mm-hmm. Do you have, do you, how often do you have to train? How often do you have to serve? Oh, so I just came back from training. Um, I was just gone for 16 days and I'm actually going to drill this weekend, um, but I'm an equal opportunity liaison. So I address all the gender, race, um, kind of the fun stuff. (laughs) (laughs) Um, No, like you'd be surprised at just how deep the conversations are when these trainings occur. Um, because my service members, my my peers, my battle buddies, a lot of them come from rural areas or they travel in from different spaces and places. And the conversations are very enlightening. Um, so with that additional duty, plus unit prevention leader collecting all of the urine, sounds exciting. <laughs> um, I would say I probably commit to the wear of the uniform, probably give it about 60 hours a month. But when it's actually time to show up and be with my battle buddies probably anywhere from 48 to 72 hours a month and where were you deployed or were you so I've never deployed in the 10 and a half years that I've been in the service I've worn the unit I've taken some psychological tours but they don't count so (laughs) Um, all of my assignments have been stateside so I've done done a lot of training in the military um, stateside so you're you're going to have that very real visceral understanding of this 90-day deployment rule when you want to get things done. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can understand that. So what do you think the greatest benefit to you of being in the military is? Uh, something I, I jokingly refer to as voice activation. Um, I was a little shy when I first joined the military. Not a little. I was shy. <laughs> I, I often was uncomfortable, like, speaking loudly. Um but then I, somebody saw something in me and was like, you're going to be a leader. You're going to be in front of folks and you're going to speak up. And what I found was not only did I enjoy speaking up, but oftentimes I, me speaking up really helped somebody else out. Um, and the other part of that is being a part of the military. It's given me really unique insight into the population I serve on the civilian side. Um, my full-time professional capacity is a women veterans program manager or something called Illinois Joining Forces. So there's a coalition of care for the entire state in finding the hubs that are best able to identify what the needs are for women veterans. And I think that it's easier for them to relate to me in some ways when they find, oh, she's still in and she's managing this because they're like, oh, well, if she could do it, maybe I could do it. And What did you call that again? A women's veteran joining? Oh, the uh, program is Illinois Joining Forces. Joining Forces, okay. Interesting. So even before somebody has made the decision, they're getting some direction and counseling, encouragement, understanding as to what might be best for them to focus on when joining. Is that right? That what you do? Um, no, but we should. <laughs> so they're already, these women are out. They identify as women veterans. Um, there was speak around that in some research maybe a few years ago that women veterans weren't identifying as women veterans. And now the VA is trying to address the the reality that women veterans aren't invisible, but oftentimes they're, they don't have a female counterpart to assist them with what they need, or they live in a very rural area where what they need is not as easily accessible. So 
we do something called the Women Veteran Ambassadors Program, where you know they they tell us what the needs of the community are, and we figure out how to address those needs by connecting them to the surrounding organizations, whether they're veteran service organizations or everyday service organizations, so that they can you know find that like the resources are there. Mm-hmm. Wow, so many levels. And what do you find out about substance abuse and things like that? Or do you do you address those things in your work that people perhaps have not addressed underlying anxieties after leaving? Um, what do you do in that regard when women come to you? So that's funny because I'm a UPL, so <laughs> pop hot, I know. Um, <laughs> In some cases, it's, it's referral out. Like the the, for me, it's it's what is your specific need. Like I I may not be able to give you a resource immediately if, if you've called me and said, hey, my family member is in the middle of an overdose. But I do know an organization that functions like an Uber when they bring these uh, Norcom kits to you to help you in the moment while we call the 911 or whatever emergency medical service there is. Um, in some cases now, we have many service members um, really trying to participate in legal marijuana to help curb some of the anxiety and post-traumatic stress. Right. So I get a lot of questions around that um, versus whether or not CBD oil with a little bit of THC oh, is allowed. Man. Newsflash, it's not. <laughs> it's still a federal crime. Um, but it really just depends on some. It's alcohol. Um pretty common you'll see a military event with alcohol like oh come to a uh, bourbon and brews we'll, we'll have a business speaker here but yeah we're gonna get you drunk and so it's kind of synonymous with the culture yeah I think it is you know I, long long ago in a world far away I was married to a naval officer and he pretty much poured himself home every night and it was because of the culture, because he was an officer, they went to the wardroom at the end of, of the day, and they stood around, socialized and drank, and then came home. And that was extremely common. Now, that's a long time ago. But mm-hmm. how common is that now? I mean, is there still a culture when you're in that alcohol is a way to numb, socialize, take care of your fears? Um, and so it, it works just as well while you're in and while you're out. Um, I keep adding things. Uh, forgive me, guys. <laughs> so I also do something. As we have a veteran leadership council here. And as a co-president, we do a monthly breakfast and a monthly happy hour. And we get so many new, new people who are transitioning out. And they join us at the happy hours. And you just kind of watch them drink. And you're like, this is not good. And then you, know, you have to tell them in a couple of uh, months, like, you should probably join Team RWB because, you know, the alcohol is catching up. Yeah, it's flowing a little too much. But interesting that that's the choice of venue to attract them. Because it's what they know. So right. familiarity, right? Like, they, they get out of service. They, they miss the tribal feeling, the community. I, and I would also say it depends on the unit like not all units are great everyone has their own war story about being in service so not all units or companies are an amazing experience so it, it may have began with trying to drink away the challenges of just having to show up there and then getting out it's like well how do I find other people who understand my experience and so it's like oh well this group hosts a happy hour they're all veterans there but they all work in corporate America so yeah. Let's see, having a drink, if it's going to lead me to something. 
You know, I think I'd be tempted to look at the way that those things are constructed and give them a coupon for the first drink and after that have a really high tag on the price of the alcohol. So we do give um, new members one drink on us and everyone else is responsible for their own pay. We know their members because we see their paid membership. Uh, we, we pretty much have a you pay as you go, but no Good. BYOB. <laughs> Good. Well, I want to end our time together, Ariel, by asking you this question. You call your company tactfuldisruption.co. What do you mean by tactful disruption? So those two words don't go together. So <laughs> what I notice is people will flip it and go tactical, and it's like, no, tactful. Um, what I've learned, one of the biggest takeaways of being in the military is um, oftentimes I don't look like what people affiliate a military service person with. Um, most enlisted personnel are not in the same social experience that I am in, but but it's a way for me to take that mental health background and meet them where they're at, address what they want, and still be able to provide more. Like, so it goes beyond them. And it's kind of disruptive because there are people who do this every day and they're like, well, how do you do it? And I don't get to do it. And it's like, well, I made it accessible, but I also made it relatable. And, and sometimes, you know, you've got these competing cultures when I say veteran or military, multi-generational workforces, like, you know, I want to talk to the higher ups. I want to entertain the, the brass and the colonels. But at the same time, I want to talk to the people who are doing the work. It matters that they see you lead by example, but it helps when you say, hey, are you okay? Yeah, he is a total jerk. Want to talk about it? Okay, great. Let me, let me give you some tools. So you'll be verbally equipped to kick indoors and snap necks. But like at the same time, You'll, you'll be okay if you just detach appropriately. Mm -hmm. Well, I've done quite a bit of consulting for the military. And one of the things that I found so disruptive is the fact that there are so many different levels in the civilian, not the civilian, in the um, domestic situations. You know, mm -hmm. you've, got, you've got the active military, you've got retired military, you've got leaders that are excluded, managerials excluded, you've got civilians, you know, you've got so many different levels and they all have vested interest and then you put them into a small group and then you wonder why they don't play well together. And it's, it's very difficult because they all have different expectations. They see the um, social interactions as hierarchical or not. And, you know, why is it so hierarchical? And the military understands and the civilian doesn't. And mm -hmm. So many pieces of it. So, I, you know, I think that relates to the tactful disruption you may be talking about is you have so many different variables running in your head at any time mm -hmm. that you do have to figure yourself out so you can figure your situation out and know your next best steps so you have a great gift for people but i need them to understand what it is so in the show notes below you're going to be able to get what ariel calls a career genogram and you'll be able to click on a link with a code and you'll be able to access that so tell everyone what a career genogram is please so a career genogram basically is a um, way to look at different types of careers and jobs held by family members to see if your current career or job is one that you've chosen or that was like a hand-me-down dream and you need to figure the next steps out, which is something that comes from people who serve in the military. They say, well, my grandfather served, my great-grandfather served, and they find out, I'm not made for this. <laughs> so we help you figure out what your values are, not the values assigned to you by the company, um, and it really just helps you see 
where the foreclosed opportunity was or where the next steps are. Mm -hmm. Well, that sounds like a valuable tool. And even if it's, you're looking at it in retrospect and saying, you know, what, what really happened to me? It might be really useful to see if you had re you had familial expectations that you acted on and then wondered why you felt like a square peg in a round hole for a long time. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, so thank you so much for being with me, Ariel. Thank you. I really enjoyed you. Thank you for having me. You're so welcome. I've been talking with Ariel Shivers McGrew. She is from tactfuldisruption.co. She has a gift for you in the show notes below. And um, I hope that you'll find her if these things apply to you or of interest to you or you'd like to know more. I'm Dr. Roberta Shaler. You find me at transformingrelationship.com. I have another podcast. This one is called Emotional Savvy, but you can find my other podcast, Save Your Sanity, Help for Toxic Relationships, wherever you like to get your podcasts. And also hop on over to my YouTube channel for FOR Relationship Help, H-E-L-P. Lots and lots of things there for you, including every Monday night at 6 p.m. Pacific time, a live stream with a new topic that you can jump in and be part of the chat. So until the next opportunity for us to talk here on Emotional Savvy, take very good care of yourself. And do you know why? Because you matter. Talk soon. Thanks for being here for today's episode of Emotional Savvy. If you want to deepen your emotional savvy, make shifts in your relationships, and enjoy life and relationships more, work with me, Dr. Roberta Shaler. Get my books, enjoy my courses, or work with me directly. You can do that by visiting forrelationshiphelp.com, F-O-R, relationship, H-E-L-P.com, and subscribe to Tips for Relationships now. Don't miss a thing. Be empowered this week with more emotional savvy.